0: From 88.7 FM, WXDU Durham, and available via podcast on the World Wide Web, this is Shooting the Bull, your weekly survey of what's happening in the Bull City, brought to you by the voices of the Durham blogosphere. The opinions expressed on this program belong to the individuals expressing them and do not necessarily reflect those of
1: WXDU or Duke University. Good evening, folks. I'm Kevin Davis with BullCityRising.com. I'm Barry Reagan. I write at DependableDirection.blogspot.com.
0: Welcome to Shooting the Bull for Thursday, March nineteenth.
1: We, we are, are we are twelve
0: hours away from the first day of spring,
1: and we are twelve hours in, more or less, into March Madness. I think.
0: Yeah, something happened. You know,
1: I was <laughs> I was. I was, I was Everyone's talking basketball scores. I'm not really sure what's going on here.
0: I was looking for the elimination game in the World Baseball Classic the other night. When <laughs> Good the luck US, with that. When the U.S. was playing Puerto Rico, and I'm, you know, I'm looking through all of the ESPN channels, and they're I all think... showing basketball except for ESPN Classic, which had uh, an old rerun of a PBA, Professional Bowlers Association event. And eventually I discovered that MLB TV is, uh, is available um, during the World Baseball Classic, so I was able to watch the last five innings, including the, the thrilling comeback in the bottom of the ninth inning, for the United States to make it to the semifinals for the first time in uh, in this event,
1: so. you either needed MLB Network or the Ocho if you were going to try and the get Ocho. the uh, if you were going to try and get that game. It's,
0: it's a shame. It's a shame that that baseball is America's pastime, uh, and the World Baseball Classic should be one of the premier events in you know in 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 the sporting world and. Boy, <laughs> it sure <It's>, wasn't.
1: <laughs> well, it Well, is a new event. It will take some time to, 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 to take off. You know, Barry, we didn't put this on our list of, of show topics for tonight, but since you brought up baseball, and since the Durham Bulls will start their season soon, uh, I, I've been meaning to blog about this this week, but there is a small controversy related to one of our finest A players who may be, be back this season, David Price. The, um, uh, okay, fill me in. The, the pitcher. David Price has... Understandably, uh, he expressed concern that the Rays might relegate him to AAA for some time to mature as a player, i.e., they could keep him under contract longer uh, at a lower salary, uh, which would be great for Durhamites. I mean, to get to see to see the uh, the child pitch some more. I mean, this this guy shut down uh, Boston in the uh, in the uh, ALCS this past year. Uh, it'd be fantastic to see David Price on the mound getting to blow away the Gwinnett County Braves or whoever we're playing this year, or the Iron Pigs, but. Uh, we'll we'll have to see if uh, if Mr. Price, the Vanderbilt graduate, wants to come back here and fight for name recognition with oh, our right congressman right. again.
0: My my suspicion is that the American League East is going to be so competitive that they won't be able to keep him down here for, um, for not very long. On. But you can probably hear more on uh, on on the sports show on, uh, on <laughs> Sunday night. And, we're,
1: uh, we're amateurs when it comes to sports, um, folks. Um, um, well, speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So Kevin, we, uh, you you um, you barely made it to the studio again tonight, and and folks, um, I, I want to let you know we uh, uh, we we spent the whole day lining up guests for the entire month of April, <laughs> uh, and and we have some great guests lined up in, the, in just the wait till April. But um, tonight you're going to be entertained by Kevin and I talking about uh, talking about Durham uh, Durham politics and and local issues. Now you were down um, in South Durham at the County Commissioners. Uh, meeting on Jordan Lake on the um, on the, and this is not the Jordan Lake rules. this is the um, the survey that was done no both no this but, is ac- well slightly different More? there were Less? multiple
1: issues i and I left only about thirty five minutes in uh Matt look for Matt Milliken and Jim Wise to have uh, pieces in the Herald Sun and the uh, n O shortly on this. they were still there uh, The meeting was called in general to talk about growth in South Durham uh, Melissa Rooney, who is a uh, uh, a perennial uh, commenter on issues of growth uh down in South Durham. Uh this was held in Fairfield, uh, one of the, the neighborhoods down there. I, I have to say I, I felt like I'd driven into a part of Cary. It was very it was very odd for me as a downtowner to to, to go to this part of South Durham where it's farms and subdivisions. It's it's the strangest thing. But uh the meeting uh, had Steve Medlin, who is uh the city county planning director uh, Joe Colopy, who's one of the planners there, uh, who's been working on the issue of the urban growth area, which was one of the main topics that the meeting was starting on, although uh, it, would, it was getting into other topics as I was leaving. Uh, Becky Heron was there, uh, county commissioner, who's been a big advocate for protecting rural and and uh, and sensitive areas. Uh, George Bryan, the uh, planning commission chair, was there. So there were were some notables uh, in the audience. So
0: this was this was not a county commissioners hearing. I thought no. I thought what I had read was this was a meeting being held by.
1: It was being no. It, it had different purposes. One one reason for it is that the joint city county planning commission, which includes uh, Brian, it includes some uh, county commissioners and some city councilmen. Uh, they've been debating this question of moving the urban growth area, the urban growth boundary, and this is a boundary that basically denotes where sewer service will be extended. And currently, in the south, roughly southeastern part of southeastern central part of Durham. Uh, away from the area that's been discussed around the the Jordan Lake uh, 751 Fayetteville project. Uh, In that area right now, the urban growth area extends all the way to the Chatham County line. The proposal here is to bring it up, uh, basically exempting some Durham County Natural Inventory areas and some Army Corps of Engineers areas uh, as being outside the, the UGA. By being outside the UGA, Barry, They basically couldn't bring sewer service in there. And if you can't bring sewer service in, if you're going to develop, you've got to develop on septic and and water. Which
0: which means densities
1: are going to be lower. Right.
0: And you have to have land that actually perks. Right. Exactly. And that that makes development a much much riskier issue then.
1: So to that end, uh, essentially the JCCPC has heard this issue a couple of times. Um, and has uh, decided to, uh, to to hold this as sort of one way of getting some feedback. It's coming back before JCCPC, I think on April 1st. Uh, so the topic's by no means done, uh, but this was basically a chance to mostly get feedback. Uh, as I was leaving, they were starting to talk a bit about, and Steve Medlin was giving the backstory that you've probably read in Matt Saldana's pieces in the Indy and in the Herald Sun and elsewhere, uh, about the Jordan Lake 751 Fayetteville assemblage, this project where there was a privately... Uh, uh, paid for a uh, survey of the Jordan Lake critical watershed boundary through one individual parcel, one very large parcel, uh, that, that ended up changing the boundaries. And uh, Steve Medlin reiterated tonight that they are planning to, to move forward with neighborhood meetings, move forward with the comp plan uh, review, move forward with rezoning, etc. Um, of course, there's been some, some debate about whether that was necessary or not. The Indies covered that, covered that very well.
0: Now, when, when you say move forward, Right. Um, do you do you mean that move, moving forward, accepting the new boundary? No, moving that has forward been... as
1: in. Look for more public meetings to come on on that topic.
0: Okay, so that so that the boundary has not yet been finalized and accepted, despite state D.W.Q. Um, saying that Frank Duke's acceptance of uh, of the boundary was legitimate.
1: And there's going to be a public hearing. Oh, no I'm sorry, not a public hearing. A, a county commission work session this Monday, from I believe three thirty to six or six thirty. To discuss this and then it will be on the there won't be public comment there but there will be a discussion of the matter then it will be on the next I believe the next County Commission uh, regular public meeting when there will be more uh, public discussion and debate but basically they're looking at uh, making the comp plan change making the zoning change and going through the public comment process around that there has been some debate Uh, supporters of the project have said that no such meetings are necessary because of the nature of the DWQ ruling uh, but at least as of Steve Medlin's comments tonight, this is moving forward through that that public process.
0: Oh, very interesting. You know, I do want to take a minute to remind folks that we did a, we did a three week. Um, um, uh, slog. Slog. <laughs> slog through the stormwater issue. Um, and, and if you missed that or if you want to listen to it again, it is available um, on podcast via the iTunes Store. You can go to itunes.com and search on Shooting the Bull, and you'll find our podcast. And you can listen to those episodes and pretty much every, um, every show that we've done for the last. Uh, we're, we're coming up on, uh, on our 10 month anniversary, which That's very is very true. With, well, I'm not, even, I'm not going. <laughs> Speaking speaking of stormwater and such, um, one of the one of the things that, that we talked about during our uh, during our shows was the donut hole, right? Which is the uh, the, the gap. In stormwater regulations for part of Durham, including much of downtown, and I, I guess going up to I eighty-five on the on the north, and maybe down to one forty-seven or so, uh, maybe a little bit past there on uh, on the south, where there are stormwater regulations regarding development in uh, in the Neuse River Basin and in the Cape Fear River Basin, but in you know in the downtown, which doesn't fall into the critical watershed area for either of those, uh, somehow there were no uh, there were no protections in, in effect, and the city was looking at $25,000-a-day uh, fines beginning, depending on who you talk to, July 1st or April 1st, um, but uh, city council has taken the bull by the horns, as it were, and, and you know, c- city council has, has has made the move and is... Uh, has has passed the, uh, the the necessary regulations according to what I was reading in the paper uh, today, and uh, we now have stormwater controls, <laughs> or 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 uh, people who develop downtown are able to mitigate their stormwater, um, you know, the, the, what what they're putting into the stormwater system by buying conservation mm-hmm. easements downstream and keeping land out of development that way.
1: And we haven't seen, I think, the full analysis of all the parts of the rule. There was a lot of confusion in in press uh, accounts, media accounts, my own included. Uh, I think Matt Saldanya did some of the best work on this topic uh, with the Indy, and uh, at one point he had uh, suggested that it could mostly be mitigated off-site if you're in super-dense areas like downtown, but there might be some on-site required. I think the Herald Sun quoted an estimate that for the $45 million uh, DPAC project, the Performing Arts Center, it could have been done for about forty, forty-five thousand, fifty thousand 45000 $50,000, but they also had a lot of land to work with. We don't know yet how this is going to shake out, and of course, you know, there's such a booming development market right now with with free flowing money from banks that uh, it will be a while until we we actually see what's going to happen with this.
0: Uh, believe it or not, I was in uh, I was in Raleigh last night. Uh, drove back through Cary and. Uh, um there's plenty of construction going on in the Triangle. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't. I don't know. I haven't really been out of uh, out of the state except up to D.C. Uh, in the past five or six months. I haven't. I haven't really traveled around the country. I don't know what it's what it's like firsthand. You know.
1: Well, we but, did find out in today's paper that the Raleigh-Cary MSA is the fastest-growing metropolitan area in the country from July 07 to July 08. and Durham, Durham MSA, which is Durham and Chapel Hill, was not ranked. Uh, but uh, the NNO's growth chart showed that we're about 2.5% growth. Raleigh-Carry was at 43 But raleigh Carey's down a little bit over the past year. Durham's growth has been sort of steadily increasing throughout the, uh, the decade. So,
0: and you look at some other um, you know, fast-growing MSAs like, uh, you know, like Phoenix or Las Vegas and stuff, and they're probably at negative uh, growth rates right now. I was going to say, you know?
1: for, for 07 to 08, they yeah. actually were in the top. I think Austin was number 2. And there's huge slides from basically Boise through Salt Lake City down through the Mountain West, Provo, Utah, places like that. Uh, we're we're in the top uh, Charlotte ranked 7th in the survey Palm Beach ranked 4th i uh, i guess pe- who knows M- made hadn't uh, hadn't tanked yet so
0: <laughs> folks um you're you're listening to Shooting the Bull on uh, WXDU Durham I'm Barry Reagan
1: I'm Kevin Davis and uh, you are here listening to Barry and, and myself tonight uh, chatting on topics of local news so we'll be back with some special guests next week Uh, I think Barry. Next, we're going to turn to the question of uh, some recycling changes that appeared before uh, before City Council at their work session today. And and and,
0: uh, and you had you.
1: I don't know how you do it. I I read the website.
0: You had a blog post up almost immediately.
1: It's it's on the website. It, 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 It. no at, one bothers to go out and look at the city the, council the website, agendas. The
0: city council's website is at uh, durhamnc.gov/council.
1: No, I, I love this. The agendas are durhamnc.gov/agendas, which is just a wonderful URL. If you think of all the agendas of those in uh, in and near politics,
0: and and they but but they actually post the the discussions pretty well, much as they happen. Or... Well, they
1: no they post what it is, Barry. Is they post the uh, they post the uh, items that are going to be on the following week's agendas for the Monday and Thursday meetings and the attachments. They actually do so, a better job at it than the county does.
0: So you so you, so you got a chance to read Donald Long's presentation yeah. before he made it, but you don't. You, we, we don't know yet what the response uh, on on council was.
1: Well, uh, at least neither of us were at the city council right. work session today, which are not televised or streamed at this point.
0: The the, the work, the work sessions. sessions. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, the the proposal um, is, uh, is is as I understand it to do away with some of the large dumpsters. That businesses currently contract with um, through the city, um, and and push businesses to their own uh, private <laughs> contracting for, um, for for picking up that waste, and use that staff to, um, to, to to implement an increased recycling program throughout the city of Durham.
1: That's that's exactly it. The the uh, uh, back in the nineties, um, dumpster collection, I guess, had been free. And I guess the businesses owned the dumpsters, but they were, you know, the city was coming along and picking them up and taking their trash away for free. That moved into a charge model that was used to initiate the recycling program in the first place. So the proposal here is to eliminate city pickup of dumpsters entirely. Businesses would contract for that. And instead, you would end up with a curbside recycling pickup, which we have today. What they would do is move from the little bins that don't allow you to necessarily put all your recycling in to larger bins, 65- to 95-gallon roll carts, like your yard waste or your trash bins, and they would come every other week to pick up your recycling. Um, and Commenters on, on, over at Bull City Rising today raised the, the, the fear of, how do you know what your week is, but some someone who's in the pilot program says, actually, it's worked out pretty well. Um, so the the net savings on this could be as much of a half-million dollars uh, over the the current world, given the fact that we're losing money each year on on the uh, dumpster pickup, and we're paying 2.1 million dollars to Tidewater Fiber uh, Corporation to pick up our recycling and and do that. Another wait, benefit wait, wait is wait a
0: second, wait a second. We pay an outside party to pick up our recycling, and who gets the money? From the recycled from the recycled goods. Well, well, this is, is that goes to tidewater, or does that come back to the city? Or well, no, this is this, so. This
1: is one of the reasons. You know, it, it's not like Barry. Everyone just got the environmental bug 20 years ago and started recycling programs for the good of it, right? The the whole way that recycling programs typically work is, cities have usually paid a company like TFC to come along and pick up the recycling. What they do is the companies give them a lower rate than they would pay for being able to to on a per pound basis dispose of solid waste. Because the idea is basically, the company picks up the recyclables, recycles them, sells them off in the plastics and aluminum's market. But it's still cheaper for the city to pay for them to pick up recycling than it would be to have to have all of the that mass, all that tonnage, go into the solid waste stream. So basically, yeah, they they sell the material, they keep some money out of it, passes along a lower rate to the city.
0: So, so this change would capture that revenue stream that we are now currently paying to a third party. Uh, and, you know, because we have the people on staff already, they're doing other work. Yeah. And they'd come back and they, and they would be switched over to this job. So there'd be no increase in the budget, and theoretically, we would be spending less money.
1: Although I have to say, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be intrigued to see if anyone's done the analysis, and presumably the city has, on the impact of keeping the contract and just ending the, the dumpster pickup, which, you know, is a, is a rough thing to say, obviously, in these tough economic times. But I would be surprised if that wasn't a question that, that comes up. From councilor, from citizens.
0: Have you had a chance to um, to look at other cities in in North Carolina and how many of them are um, are, are providing dumpster pickup for businesses? I, I know um, in a lot of cities that I've lived, uh, it, that's not the case. So uh, you know, it, we may be moving to something that's more closely in line. Uh, with uh, with what other municipalities are doing, and I, I will I will try to get a chance to uh, to look at that, and uh, and if I do uh, if I do start blogging again, uh, <laughs> that that that'll, that'll be something that'll be something yeah. um um interesting to look at.
1: I, I've the- got to say that the big advantage I that I would just love about this change is like a lot of people we leave our recycling bin outside, but then you don't want to fill it with cardboard and plastics and aluminum all week long, and the rain gets in and it gets nasty. So we actually have a an indoor bin that we keep our recycling in, and once a week. We go and transfer it to the outdoor bin, and it's it's just kind of a pain. So the well, idea we, of being we able put, to we
0: put the glass in the plastic and uh, the very few aluminum cans that we actually go through outside in the bin during the week. I keep all the paper, um, all my mixed uh, my mixed paper inside in a separate bin, which fills up. Sure. Know, pretty much every week, and we just lug that out to the curb and, and have multiple bins uh, I, you know one one thing that that people have talked about on my on my listserv in in Duke park and I think on the inner neighborhood council listserv i don't know if if you've seen this over in uh, in, in Trinity park there is a, there's a population of folks in Durham who well, supplement their income by walking or driving through neighborhoods uh, the night before trash pickup and emptying the aluminum cans out of uh, out of recycling bins, because aluminum is the easiest uh, of, of the recyclable materials to actually take to a recycling center and get money for. Yeah. If we move to a rollout mm-hmm. cart, 90-gallon rollout cart, what does that do?
1: Well, <laughs> do I wonder, I want, maybe you'll have some extra trash, uh, some extra trash uh, uh, vans, uh, pickup trucks that they could pool their money, buy one, and go around and pick up the bins? They pick up the
0: entire <laughs> bin, uh, you know. But but I mean, if you start no, going it's a through, good if you start going through the bin looking just for the aluminum cans, and, and you've got a ninety gallon mixed recycling, and thing, and the mixed is know. important by the way, because
1: yeah. you know, in theory, right now you're supposed to separate your recyclables in the bin. Although I don't think it happens frequently. They do that when they pick it up. They put them in the right slot. Right. I've,
0: I've asked I've asked my recycling guys like, hey, I'm sorry, you know, I've got this in the same bin as that, and yeah. I've always been told, don't worry about it. I try to keep my cardboard and paper and yeah. you know in one place. And this
1: would actually mix to uh, single stream recycling, as it's called, in which. Case Case you're, you're encouraged. Just put it all in the bin. Doesn't matter what it is. Um, you know, the idea is make it easier for people to recycle, so more people recycle. Yeah.
0: Well, let's uh, let's say I'm mean, Donald Long, um, our director of solid uh, waste management, has had some very good ideas. He hasn't been able to get them all uh, implemented in times of uh, tight budget So uh, we'll be watching to see what happens with uh, with this uh, as the budget cycle goes through to uh, budget passage in uh, late May or early June. Um, you know, another thing that uh, that that council addressed today. Um, is uh... And, and this probably resonates uh with you because you're a resident of uh, of of the neighborhood involved um, or or nearby um, resident uh is uh, is the party houses in Trinity Heights basically a stone's throw from the studio where that that we are broadcasting from I mean Trinity Heights right across right across right.
1: Avenue so so the so residents of the Trinity Heights neighborhood have been um, uh, raising the issue consistently over the last couple of years especially since The party problem in Trinity Park sort of died down as Duke bought up some of the houses, and and more of the houses have gone to sort of large rental house models in Trinity Heights, which is between Walltown and Duke's East Campus. And uh, residents have been encouraging the administration became more involved. A lot of this started back when President Cohen, uh, back in the 90s, tried to crack down on on on-campus drinking, which was not strictly a Duke phenomenon. There was a lot of pressure from the, uh, as I understand it, the the first Bush administration and the Clintons on financial aid policies and cracking down on institutions that didn't enforce the drinking law. So you had a lot of institutions. My own undergraduate alma mater did the same thing at the same time.
0: And interesting, a lot of university presidents are going on record now as uh, saying they would like to see the drinking age lowered. Um, you know back down to nineteen or even or even eighteen
1: and, and you know I mean, we could we could have a whole show on about about the, the the challenges of sort of the underage binge drink binge drinking that you're, that you're seeing uh, but in short, the Trinity Heights residents have been pushing for Duke to take a more active role in this and there 's sort of this feeling among the Trinity Heights residents in their petitions and their messages to council uh, that the the university sort of uh, may feel like it 's just sort of obviated itself from the problem by by letting the students move off campus. I think the university would probably disagree. Um, just a, a note for conflict of interest. I myself work for the university, but in no way uh, related to this matter. Uh, there, there, one of the things that kicked off this discussion, sort of an ad hoc discussion today at council, and I'll be blogging about this tomorrow, is an email from a Duke faculty member who witnessed at the end of spring break this sort of en masse return of students to one of the party houses, you know, allegations of, you know, where were, you know, there are intoxicated people around on the street making too much noise, where people driving who shouldn't have been driving, blocking the street, getting out making all kinds of noise at you know, the O-Dark 30 hours of, of early morning. Uh, and the, the police were called and uh, you know did, did their business. But uh, a couple of council members uh, drove by the site you know, after this event, after hearing from the neighbors, and apparently saw a tremendous amount of refuse outside a house on Clarendon Street uh, in the 800 block of Clarendon. And this made it onto the agenda today. And apparently the uh, uh, council spent more than an hour on this item talking about it with some... Uh, some, apparently some heat from council members, at least Eugene Brown, was quoted in the NNO's blog as saying, basically, you know, we're going to skip uh, uh, Dr. Mineta, the, the, uh, the uh, head of student affairs. This needs to go straight to Dick Broadhead. Uh, there needs to be university attention on this. And to my mind, this is, this is really the potential turn up of the heat on this issue.
0: Uh, I, I believe Eugene's quote um, directly was that uh, Larry Mineta and Duke student affairs are part of the problem. And uh, that that was an interesting uh, interesting quote to to read. Um, and you know, I mean, you you say as a as a Trinity Park resident that um, after those dozen or so houses um, were purchased by the university, taken out of the student rental market, that the problem um, you know in in Trinity Park has diminished, um, has diminished greatly. There are far fewer complaints about uh, about party houses, noise violations. There's, there's less. You know. uh,
1: uh, oil, oil uh, uh, encapsulated wrestling and bikinis happening. Fewer,
0: fewer vomiting in in people's bushes
1: or throwing beer bottles at residents. It's right. changed dramatically. So,
0: so you know it's interesting because I had a conversation with somebody just uh, just yesterday, an email conversation uh, about this. Uh, we were talking about um, about. The neighborhood that I live in, and some of the difficulties we get in having the city um, respond to to some of our complaints, and you know the Trinity Park model, um, you know, uh, was was raised as to well, how did Trinity Park solve this issue with with you know getting the city involved and working with the university, uh, you know, and 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 stuff like that, and it, it just was it was just just was interesting, and, and one of the things that I said was you know it may just be that what Trinity Park succeeded in doing was transferring the problem to another. You know, geographic location, and I, I had no idea that it, this was on the agenda for, for City Council today and that it had become um, you know such a, such a heated problem, but listening to the complaints of the people who live in Trinity Heights... Uh, uh, about this you know what a profound sense of deja vu I mean it's exactly what we were reading four and five years ago uh, from people who live uh, Mm -hmm. you know just off of these campus
1: and and it's worth mentioning uh, that the vast majority of of students who live off campus are wonderful neighbors wonderful participants in the community Uh, I I knew some undergraduates who and graduate students who lived in the neighborhood lived near me and just great to have as neighbors you know try to get active in the school got active in, in the community uh, yeah, there, it only there is takes this, one or two, yeah, and there is this discussion. Um, you know, I have I have my own thoughts on it that I tend not to blog on, but about is is the character the, the, the fundamental character of Duke undergraduate life different than that at other schools? And and, and you see a lot of different opinions. You know, sometimes I think sort of the anti-Trinity Park meme that you hear is you know why'd you live near a college? Of course, college students are are going to be out drinking and partying and being loud and having a good time. I mean, I, I, that that doesn't resonate with my own undergraduate experience or, I think, most of Duke's peer schools. Uh, and I, I think there's there's some fertile uh, ground to be mined in terms of just how different is the Duke experience from its peer and institutions. I, I, I
0: certainly had some of that when I was an undergraduate. But uh, when I lived off campus as an undergraduate, I lived in, in, in an apartment that was all, um, you know, other students. And we really didn't have other neighbors that uh, that that we were disturbing. And then when I when I did eventually, you know, go to grad school and and, and live in a house with other folks, uh, I, I became a much better neighbor.
1: Well, you Barry, know? you know, you went to Budweiser State for undergraduate, and you went to Cabernet University. So I, I, for your I, grad I I
0: graduated from from Stony Brook University, which at the time was called the State University of New York at Stony Brook. Um, and the the house I lived in um, when I when I was in grad school was right on the beach. It was just a Beautiful house. On I'm the sure moisture. you did a
1: lot of studying.
0: It was uh, I, I did as much studying as I possibly could, <laughs> uh, enough enough to graduate. But uh, yeah, that's an interesting I mean, just just um, um, some some almost incendiary quotes from uh, from some city council people today, and and I'm looking uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to see how that uh, how that plays out over the next uh, over the next couple of months. It, it
1: will be interesting.
0: Yeah, you know, especially um, you know uh, there'll be a break over the summer, and then uh, the students will come back in the fall, and we'll see if any changes are uh, are made. We'll see how uh, how President Broadhead decides to. Address this gauntlet that has been thrown down uh, in front of his feet by uh, by City Council,
1: and this will also be an interesting test for you know one name that didn't come up at least in the the blog posts, uh, Dr. Phil Wynn, who is uh, you know, the the new uh, I believe vice president over. Community Engagement or Vice President for Duke Durham Affairs. So we, so far, you know, his, his office is, is fairly new and is integrated in different ways with community affairs on campus, it'll be, which previously community affairs and the Duke Durham Neighborhood Partnership had a big role in these issues. It'll be very interesting to see uh, how Dr. Nguyen uh, gets involved yeah, in that. I thought this.
0: specifically that was part of his portfolio. When when he was hired, I seem to remember reading that in the paper that that was part of his job. Anyway, we're um, we're, we're approaching uh, the eight o'clock hour. We had uh, one or two more things that we want to talk about um, uh, tonight. Uh, you know, one of one of my favorite places uh, in Durham, and this is a purely unsolicited opinion uh, and a personal opinion uh, is the Broad Street Cafe. It's right around the corner from uh, from our studio. It's about a mile from here. Um, in fact, I'm probably going to be there <laughs> in, in about 20 minutes. All, you, all, you, all so. you
1: crazy stalkers can go hit Barry up at, the, at Broad Street Cafe. <laughs> uh,
0: but, uh, but one of Broad Street Cafe's neighbors has filed a multi-million
1: dollar uh, you're 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 conflating did, did, did the I issue. Hear? Okay. Um, so um, one of <clears throat>
0: straight me out here. I thought I thought I heard some I heard I heard some god awful number thrown around. No
1: no no. So so uh, uh, a person who lives near Broad Street Cafe actually owns two properties, lives in one, and I think rents out some room in that one, and rents out the other house on Clarendon. Uh, lives near the side of Broad Street Cafe. Uh, separately, this individual has filed, uh, we believe, uh, f- filed a lawsuit okay. against Got the city it. and the police department last year. Got it. Uh, unclear for what purposes, but on uh, earlier this month, uh, petitioned city council and, and appeared before city council this week to on Thursday uh, talk about noise and parking issues around Broad Street Cafe, claiming that vehicles uh, from people attending events at Broad Street were being parked uh, outside the house, blocking the driveway. Um, the individuals called the police uh, in the past on, on when these situations have arisen, um, apparently wasn't satisfied with the response he got from the police. Uh, Broad Street Cafe's owners, I, when, when my correspondent, Barry, actually went to talk to Broad Street about it, they weren't aware of, of this. Uh, they hadn't seen it on the city council agenda. Um, so I th- I'm not sure if they were at the meeting today or not. They said they were going to reach out to this individual. Uh, but, you know, the question it raises in my mind, I mean, you're always going to have disagreements with neighbors is a really interesting question around the fact that this was originally a Revco drugstore. So the neighbors who moved in there, there's a drug store and I love broad street cafe. I love Watts grocery. Uh, but you know, it does raise a question that suddenly this commercial use morphed into another commercial use. Presumably we'll hear something about planning about it well, it's, it's being been, it's allowed. It's been over
0: five years since, since the BSC was, uh, was, was a drugstore, and, and maybe even longer than that, because it went through an incarnation as Ula Latte mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and the Untidy Museum um, for a couple of years before it became the Broad Street Cafe. This, it, it may even go back six or seven years that it's been there. So sure. So, yeah, there are, there are people who have, who have been there uh, whose residence predates... Um, predates it, its use as an entertainment venue, but uh, a, a good deal of uh, a good many people live there because you now have, you know, on North Broad Street mm-hmm. uh, and almost an entertainment district. Exactly. And and you have, you know, literally hundreds of people, maybe even a thousand or two thousand people who live within walking distance. Absolutely. Of, of this area, and and that is for many people uh, a, a draw. You know, people want to live where they can walk to, uh, you know, talk, walk to entertainment at night. And hey, you know, if you want to have an extra beer. You can, you can walk, walk right home, home. i so, was
1: i was i met someone there for a, for a drink yesterday and i you know after after we had dinner i got in my car and they got on their their feet and walked home it's it's a great area
0: all right so we are we are just about out of time i think next week we um we we're going to be talking about food aren't we
1: I believe we are. Yeah, the folks so, from uh, Carpe Durham are lined up to uh, join us. One of the great food blogs here in town. So, uh, so tune in for that.
0: Um, in the mean, uh, in the meantime, I'm Barry Reagan. I write at DependableErection.blogspot.com.
1: I'm Kevin Davis. I write at BullCityRising.com. Have a great week, and we'll see you here next week. You're
0: listening to WXDU Durham.